So we're starting this new series called Kingdom Faith, and you might wonder, what the heck does kingdom faith mean? Because both those words are kind of archaic. The word kingdom, right? I mean, kingdoms are archaic, bygone things from errors in the past where kings and queens ruled with fairy godmothers, and it's just sort of like, we don't do that. We're much more sophisticated than that. We have a democratic republic. I mean, this is mature, sophisticated, educated way of looking at things. Or the word faith, right? We don't need faith. We have science. We have education. We have logic. We have rationale. Faith is for weak-minded people who need some sort of crutch to get their way through life. Kingdom, faith, irrelevant, unnecessary, unless you want to discover hope in Jesus. I mean, if you want hope in Jesus, it can't happen without kingdom faith. If you like to be stuck in religion and not have a relationship with God, then you can disregard kingdom faith. But if you want a living, breathing, walking, talking relationship with Almighty God, kingdom faith is kind of the way that happens. So we thought about talking over these next number of weeks together, and what does it look like to be a part of God's kingdom? How do we get access to God's kingdom? And what does it look like for each of us to discover our purpose within God's kingdom? And how do we walk by faith day by day? Because I can't see Jesus with my physical eyes. I can't hear him with my physical ears. I can follow him by faith, and it requires an understanding of his kingdom, entrance into his kingdom, and a willingness to walk with him by faith. So we're going to jump into this Kingdom Faith series. We're also going to talk about Kingdom Faith because back in June, I kind of shared with you some things God's put on the hearts of the leadership of Faith Church, things that God is calling us to do as a congregation, as a community. If you were here with us on June 9th, you heard this vision. If you weren't here or you don't remember, go back into our sermon archives online. Look for Vision Sunday, June 9th, and you can hear details about where we believe God's calling our congregation. As individuals, we want to walk by faith and advance God's kingdom, but as a family, we also want to walk by faith and advance God's kingdom. So we think this is going to help us do that together. We're going to be looking at the life of Paul in the book of Acts to develop this idea of what does kingdom faith look like, feel like, how do we experience it together. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. You can turn on an electronic copy, bring with you a paper copy. It also can be found in our app if you'd like to follow there. Acts chapter 9 is in the New Testament, sort of towards the right of your Bible. And I like that you can follow along with me as we work our way through this. Paul is this guy who's an everyday person like you and me, who has a real faith. It didn't start out that way. And so today we're going to look at how he's transformed and how he goes from someone who doesn't walk with Jesus to someone who starts to walk with Jesus. And then we're going to be tracking with him through the book of Acts as he begins to experience kingdom faith. So just some context as we jump into Acts 9. What's the context that we're jumping into? I think it's probably best explained this way, that no one's neutral when it comes to Jesus. Like, you either believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. Either you love Jesus and want to trust in Jesus, or you want 
to get rid of Jesus because he's some sort of mythological person that you have no idea what he's like, and so you just want to get rid of him. So when Jesus walked on earth, no one was neutral about him then either. Just like today, you're not neutral about Jesus. When he walked on earth, no one was neutral about him either because Jesus would make statements like this. He would say, as he walked on earth, he would say, the kingdom of God is here. This Jewish carpenter, 30-year-old guy, goes, the kingdom of God is right here. And he would say to people, repent, believe in me, follow me, trust in me, and you will have entrance into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. And so bold statements that you either had to look at that statement and go, I believe Jesus is saying that, and it's true, and I'm going to embrace it, or what a quack. Let's get rid of this guy. Let's dismiss this guy. So he would make these statements, and the more that he would teach, the more that he would heal, people would make a decision whether to follow him or not follow him, whether to love him or to hate him. And increasingly as he taught and as he led, people got to the point where they not only hated him, they wanted to kill him and silence him. And then it happens right? He's on earth for three and a half years, and people falsely accuse him, and they nail him to a cross, crucify him. Now, if you're tracking with the story of the gospel of Jesus, why would God let his son be crucified? Seems kind of whack. But here's the deal. God, the Bible says that we're sinful, we're broken as humans, and that we're separated from God because of our sin and our rebellion. But God loves us way too much to leave us separated outside of his kingdom. He sends his son. Jesus is like, hey, they're separated from us, so I volunteer. I'll go to earth, and I'll pay the price to buy them back and bring them back into our kingdom, into our family. And God's like, okay, go for it. And Jesus comes. And it's almost too good to be true that Jesus would say, I'll give you entrance into my family, into this kingdom, and all you have to do is trust me. All you have to do is believe in me, and you're welcomed into this family. This is incredible love, incredible grace. It's almost too good to be true. They nail him to a cross for what he said. And if Jesus is just like everyone else, then he was thrown into a grave dead, and we can look at him and kind of go, what a cool superhero. Someone that loved people enough to die for them. What a great superhero. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, and if he stayed in the grave after he was crucified, then he's kind of a good moral teacher, a wise statement. He speaks these platitudes that we can put on bumper stickers and rocks on our office desk. He can be this platitude wise guy, but he's not worth following. The reality is that Jesus comes out of a grave alive, proving that he's more than a moral teacher or a superhero. He is the king of kings and lord of lords that can step on death, come back to life, and offer that life to anyone who believes in him. I mean, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ that's offered to everyone and given as an invitation, come and you can be a part of the family of God. What's cool about this is Jesus does all of this. He lives this way, teaches this way, all in a very public manner. So he's nailed to a cross publicly, and he rises from the dead publicly. Question, if you see someone buried and put into a cemetery, and the next day you see them in Chick-fil-A, is that going to change your life? If you have a front row seat to see someone dead in front of you, buried, and the next couple days they're walking around town, is it going to change your life? Hundreds of people saw Jesus nailed. 
This is historic fact. Hundreds of people saw him nailed, and hundreds of people saw him walk out of a grave alive. And it radically changes their lives forever because they're like, this guy said the kingdom of God is here, follow me, and then he walks out of a grave alive, I'm going to follow him. And it changes their lives forever. But guess what? The same people that wanted to kill and silence Jesus want to kill and silence his followers too. So as the Bible unfolds, what you find is those people who had their lives changed by Jesus, and now they're Jesus fans and they're loyal to Jesus, they start walking and trusting in Jesus, and people want to kill them and silence them too. Because religious extremists now get threatened by what people say and think they have to defend God and kill people in the name of God, and that happened back then too. And so persecution breaks out in Jerusalem where they're trying to eliminate all Christ followers. And we find in Acts chapter 6 and 7 that they bump into this guy named Stephen who's a follower of Jesus, and they put him on trial just like they did Jesus, and they decide to kill him because he's a follower of Jesus. And that's where we meet this guy, Paul. He's also known as Saul in the Bible, Saul or Paul. It's the same guy. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Greek name, just like Joe is my English name, and Jose is my Spanish name. Same person, right? Paul, Saul, Joe, Jose, same person. We bump into this really religious guy who's got a Ph.D. in Bible. He's super young and super passionate, and he's about to get his world rocked. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Remember, they just killed a man for following Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went up to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found So if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's Christ's way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This guy is serious about his religion, right? He just witnessed the death of someone for believing in Jesus, and he likes it, and he's like, I got this great idea. Let's go round up more of them. Send me up to Damascus. It's a six-day walk. I'll go, and if I find any other people that are following Jesus, I'll bring them back here so we can kill all of them Two, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but he opened his eyes. He could see nothing. So they led led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Jesus, the king, appears to this religious extremist, He questions his lifestyle, his decisions. He says, yo, dude, the people you're persecuting, they're my family. Those are my people. It's as if you're persecuting me, and I'm the king, and this is going to stop. 
And he says, now, Paul, get up and go to the city, and I'll tell you what to do then. When we first bump into Paul, Saul, he's religiously blind, right? Like, what does it take for you to hate what someone believes because it's so different than you that makes you want to kill them? How blind do you have to be to the truth to want to kill someone in behalf of God? He's religiously blind. But now he bumps into Jesus And he's physically blind, and he has to be led into a city and wait for God to speak to him again. I mean, here's a guy with an Ivy League education in religion, passionate on a mission to help God, who gets blinded, and now he's led by the hand into that same city. What's going to happen next? Verse 10, the story shifts to another Christ follower in that city in Damascus named Ananias. And God appears to this other guy, Ananias, and says, hey, um, Ananias, stop eating your Caesar salad for a moment. Can I get your attention? Here we go. Look at me, Ananias. Hey, I got an assignment for you. I want you to go talk to this guy, Saul. I have a message for him. And Ananias is like, "Um, God, you don't get it. This guy, Saul, kills people like me, so I ain't going to talk to him. I'm just going to keep eating croutons. Like, no, I'm not good with this. I'm not going to do it. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show Saul how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. I mean, dramatic shift is going on here. He's heading to Damascus to kill Christians. Jesus stops him in his tracks, and things begin to change. I mean, if you're so passionate about your religion that you're rounding up people and putting them on trial and killing them for what they believe, what's it going to take to stop you from that craziness? Maybe something this dramatic. That's what it would take. And so Jesus, who is the king of the universe, if the king wants to stop someone in his tracks, if he is all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign, sustainer of the universe, who made all things and holds all things together, is there anything he can't do to stop anyone, anywhere, whenever he wants to get their attention? I think he can do what he wants. And he does. He stops Paul in his tracks. He talks to him. He blinds him. He sends some random dude to give him news about what's going to happen next. And this is dramatic, right? So I think you could look at this and go, oh, this is one of those fairy tale stories in the Bible. Stuff like this doesn't happen in our scientific, rational world any longer. And I would disagree with you completely. That things like this happen all the time because of this one really important truth. God is always inviting people everywhere into his kingdom. He's always acting, speaking, inviting into his kingdom. 
And it may not happen as dramatically as it happened here for, for Paul, but this king created the world, and we have fashioned a universe that we want more than we want the king's world. We've done everything we can to suppress the thought that there's a God, done everything we can to downplay, slander, ignore, disobey, refashion a world that says there's no God and it doesn't matter what we do. We can do what we want when we want it. We live lifestyles that completely deny God's existence in our own kingdom. But the king of this kingdom so desperately wants relationships with people that he'll send his son into the world to buy us back, to redeem us. And he offers himself to us. He invites us into his kingdom. Every person all the time. How does he do it? How does he send out this invitation? Again, it doesn't often happen as dramatically as Paul's interaction with the living Christ. How does he do it? He most typically uses subtle, quiet, gentle ways. He most typically goes, have you seen that sunrise? Have you seen that beauty? Have you noticed the intricacies of the human body or the intricacies of the planet or the kingdom world or the insect world? Have you noticed those things, sunrises and sunsets? He whispers daily and he puts little post-it notes out that go like this. Hey, I'm God, call me. Over all kinds of different things in our natural world that we can see with our physical eyes, the God of the universe is placing post-it notes everywhere around us and says on those post-it notes, hey, call me. I'm here. Call me. I made this. Call me. I hold this together. Call me. I'm available. He doesn't often get super dramatic. Here's why. Because he knows that if he got dramatic, like he did with Paul, he would scare the crud out of all of us. If he overpowered us with something big, it would just make us afraid of him. So post-it notes, post-it notes, post-it notes. Call on me. Look at me. I care about you. And if he wants to turn the volume up a little bit because we don't get it, he doesn't get our attention with biology and all the different astronomy and things that are happening in the nature, natural world, if he doesn't get our attention that way, he turns the volume up a little bit, and it usually happens this way. There's things that go on that we call luck. Things that we happen that are called happenstance or serendipity or just sort of happen by fate. All those things that are by fate, serendipity, happenstance, is the God of the universe saying, I am orchestrating things in your life all the time and slapping post-it notes on them that say, call on me. I'm here. I want you. That new job, that hard relationship, that phone call out of nowhere, that email, that luck, that happenstance, isn't happenstance. It's the God of the universe putting post-it notes in front of all of us, inviting us into his kingdom, and he's saying, call me, call me, because I'll answer. Sometimes when we ignore those post-it notes, he brings difficulty into our lives. And then every tragedy and every heartache, every time you're caught in some kind of sin or shame, in moments where you think, how am I going to even take another breath? How will I live through all of this? God slaps post-it notes down saying, call on me. I will answer. You need peace? I can help you. You need hope? I can help you. You need wisdom? I can help you. 
sometimes God calls directly. When everything is normal and things are going your own way and the phone rings and you're like, hey, and God's like, hey, it's the God of the universe. If that happens to you, you're going to fall on the ground. It's going to knock you down. The reason God knocked Paul down is because Paul missed all the post-it notes on the world around him of the beauty of creation. He missed the post-it notes there. Paul studied the Bible. He knew the Bible inside and out. He was a religious lawyer, totally consumed by the law, and he missed seeing God. So he starts to live in a way that's so unpleasing to God that God's like, Hey, yo, Paulie, you're killing my people, and knocks him down. The point is, God loves us so much that he always invites us, always invites us into his kingdom. Somewhere deep down inside, God knew that Paul wanted a relationship. God cared that Paul wanted to do the right thing, but he was misled and misguided completely. And so in his love and his mercy and his sovereignty, he knocked Paul down and altered his life radically because he's in the business of inviting people into his kingdom. Right now, me and you, we live for our own personal kingdoms. We build our own universes, and God's like, how's that working for you? How's it going? But in God's kingdom, this is why he invites us, in God's kingdom, that's where Jesus rules as king. And where Jesus rules, there is peace, there's power, there's joy. We try in our universe to fashion our own peace. How's that working? We try to fashion our own power to fulfill our purposes and build our things and advance our kingdom. How's that working for you? And we try to manufacture our own joy. How's that working for you? And God in His love cares so much that He invites us into His kingdom. Once in a while it happens in a direct way, like He did with Paul. But honestly, I don't want Paul's way. I don't want God to knock me down like He did, for, did with Paul and get His attention. I don't want Paul's life. Do you? As you read about it, you don't want it. All right? So what do I want? I want to connect the dots when I see the beauty in our world, when I see a sunset, see a newborn baby, I want to connect the dots that this God, creator, sustainer of all things, made this. I want to hear his gentle voice that when I see things that are happening in my life that clearly someone is orchestrating, I connect the dots that that's my good father who has purposes for my life, and I will follow him and connect the dots to see he is the sustainer of the universe. And when I start to see my sin and my brokenness, when I start to realize I'm giving in to all kinds of temptations, I want to gently hear my Savior call me to Himself and say, come to me, I will forgive you, I will help you. I don't want God to knock me down. And when I read the Bible, I want to see the beauty, the truth, and be guided into what God wants for me as His son or daughter. I don't want Him to knock me down with a direct communication like He did for Paul, because I'm stubborn and I'm living in extreme sin. Have you seen God's post-it notes? Have you seen him drop things in your life that he's drawing your attention to him? 
because he's doing it all the time. And when you stop and pick up one of those notes and call out to the God of the universe, he answers. He gives power and peace and joy. And then it happens. You see, in God's kingdom, when we hear him and follow him, that's when our loyalties, our attitudes, our actions begin to change. When we hear God, when we follow him, it starts to begin to transform us from the inside out. You know, this guy Paul, he's crazy passionate about killing Christians, but because he bumps into Christ, and we're going to look at his life in the days ahead, he bumps into Christ and then becomes this incredible person that speaks on behalf of Jesus, we would not know about Jesus today without God transforming the life of Paul. And God wants to do the same thing in us. Oh, maybe you're not going to become a missionary and evangelist. Trust me, it's not all that it's cut out to be. But right where you live, as a teacher, as a mechanic, as a landscaper, as a mom or a dad, as a person that's just living your life with your gifts and your story, God wants to intersect that spot and use you to advance his kingdom for your loyalties, your passions, your purpose to be changed, altered, used to advance God's kingdom one day at a time. And that's the stuff we're going to look at, talk about over these next number of weeks as we look at Paul's kingdom faith and how it changes him because it can change us too. And all I know is that following Jesus and having kingdom faith is really hard. I mean, if, if you're hearing this today and going, man, it's hard to believe in Jesus. It's hard to trust Jesus. It's hard because my loyalties are to this world. My loyalties are to certain appetites that I know are dark and leading me astray. It's hard to believe, follow, honor God in my life. It's hard. And I, I can just affirm that. It's really difficult. And you wonder why you're in this community. I mean, you could look at our program or our app or our website and go, man, that church does a lot of stuff. And here's the 411 on that. We don't do a lot of stuff to entertain all of you and to make this feel like a cool Christian country club. Like, I got no time for that. The reason that we have these different things going on in our church family is because following Jesus is hard. And we need each other to walk by faith and to grow as followers of Jesus and to have our loyalties and affections and actions changed. God can do it in us, but it is hard, and we need each other. That's why we have groups and different kinds of ways for all kinds of different people to be connected and grow. And so if you're struggling in your faith, maybe it's because you're disconnected. And so there's just one thing I want to push for some of you guys out there. Coming up, we're doing a men's weekend. I'm teaching at this men's weekend for Faith Church, and I would love to invite you guys to come. We still have a handful of spots left where we're going to disconnect for a couple days and go together into a retreat setting where we can learn and grow and laugh and have fun. And I know some of you are going, I'm too cool for that. I'm way too busy for retreats. You're an idiot. You have plenty of time. You have time for what you make time for. I'm not trying to say that to you because some of you are not going to come, and that's okay. You're not an idiot, but have you really thought about coming? I just want to encourage you. This stuff is here because it's hard to follow Jesus, and we want to help each other. We want to encourage you to follow Jesus. So as we work through the life of Paul and grow in our kingdom faith, not only individually, 
are we going to be changed, but I really believe God wants to use our family, not because we're special or better than anyone, but use our family in partnership with other churches in the valley and around the world to advance His kingdom one person at a time. It's going to require kingdom faith. Let's pray. God, you're incredibly patient and loving that rather than tossing us away because of our rebellion, you send your son on a rescue mission to redeem us, and yet we still wander. When we hear the love and the grace, forgiveness and joy Jesus offers, we still seek to build our own universe, our own kingdom, our own world following you, surrendering to you, trusting in you is where peace, power, purpose, joy is found. So if there are individuals here today watching online that have yet to put their trust in this great king, pray they would just call out to you. You can hear them. That in their minds they can just say, I need you, Jesus. In their hearts, they can just confess they're sinful and broken. In their minds and their hearts, they can say, I need you, Jesus, and you will rescue them and bring them into a kingdom of love and light. God, your post-it notes are everywhere. We're so prone to wander, so prone to temptation. Open our eyes that we might hear the call of our King. Open our ears that we might follow you and discover that with you is fullness of joy. You can do this in us. Please do it in us, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.